Welcome to every horror movie on Netflix. You weren't expecting a little Bollywood, were you? Well, neither were we when we watched 1920 London Fear Strikes Again. As always, I'm Chris. I'm here with Patrick. Yo. Elizabeth. Hello. And Steven. Hi. And this is the show where we watch and review and discuss every horror movie on Netflix. And we haven't made it to the alphabet yet. We're going in alphabetical order. We just watched... 1920 London, Fear Strikes Again. And it's a movie from India. Didn't know that going in, but yes it is. It turns out every horror movie on Netflix is a cultural journey as well. As an exploration (laughs) into the the bowels of horror cinema. It is interesting that we're only, what, five movies in. We've already seen a Spanish film and an Indian film. I actually didn't expect there to be this much like multicultural diversity. Yeah, I hate it, but I think it's good for us. Who knew? I mean, yeah, and these are these are the movies where you're only going to watch this movie if you're watching every horror movie on Netflix in alphabetical order, or you have relatives in India who said, watch this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, side note, the star of this movie that we're about to discuss is the cousin of Priyanka Chopra, so she's super famous, so like maybe if you're a huge fan of her, you might watch this movie. Wait, who is Priyanka Chopra? Because you mentioned this to me the other day via text, and I have no idea who that is. Yeah, who she is was that? just in Baywatch. Um, oh. She Great film. No, I. That we have all seen. No, I mean, I feel really bad, but like she is was okay. I know this because she was on the cover of my Glamour like three months ago. She's like pretty famous. She's getting into some American cinema, so she seems great. She seems very nice. Good for her. Great. She gave a good Glamour interview. She gave a great Glamour interview. If you're a fan of her, maybe you'd watch this movie. Anyway, okay. So 1920 London Fear Strikes Again um, is actually the you know. Fear Strikes Again, actually, I think is the subtitle. The yeah. title of the movie is 1920 London. And the it's the third installment. It's the third installment in the 1920 film series, which I didn't know was a franchise, but over in India, apparently um, it's, I don't know, probably kind of a big deal as far as horror movies go. The first one, it seems, was um, largely well-received. And just like Wreck, we haven't seen those either. But There's there's 1920 London, then there's 1920 London, The Evil Returns, and then there's 1920 London, Fear Strikes Again. Yeah. Yep. But there's no continuous storyline. So you're not. No, mi- or continuous characters. There's nothing. No. Yeah. There's just, one actor, I think, who's in all three films and the same writer and producer, I think. And is the, would the, the common, actor be the medicine man guy? I believe it's Jay. Oh. I think he's in all of them. Well, no. I hope so. No? No. I no. looked that up. Yeah, okay. That's not true. Well, well they're is, all set in 1920. That's the that's the common factor. That is 1920. That is London. the common factor, which is which we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about puzzle. that. We'll get into we that. We will get into that. We will get, we will into, get into that. that. If well, I have anything to say about it, but well, Chris, all right. why don't you describe the movie? All right, we're just going to set up the movie here. Fundamentally, 1920 London Fear Strikes Again is a supernatural horror film. It's basically a demonic possession film. You might be used to seeing demonic possession films that heavily deal with the Catholic religion. This is a demonic possession film that heavily deals with the Hindu religion. And the basic plot is there's a princess. Her husband, the prince, is under the influence of evil. He's possessed. So she turns to the most powerful anti-black magic practitioner in the land. 
who happens to be her ex-boyfriend, a forbidden love, a commoner who she could never love because she's a royal, he's a commoner, it was never meant to be, and she actually, through a lie, deceitful testimony, sent him to prison for five years for his love, and now he's her only hope. Great premise. Great premise. Wow, you covered a lot of ground in the last two minutes. Can we can we go back and unpack some of those individual Absolutely. Things? We're going to yeah. unpack it all, but that's all right. basically what we're dealing with here. That's the premise of this movie, and um, it's Bollywood. It's Bollywood, baby. It wastes no time being a Bollywood movie either. No I mean, time. there's a musical number within the first five minutes. Yep. And it, Well, but before that, there's like this very... Very formal, very genteel scene of the princess like going back home to consult her family about what's happened with her husband, and it feels like uh, I thought it was in media res or whatever. Yeah, it feels like a, a very kind of formal one of those like a royal affair kind of like period dramas, except set in India, and then we flash back to this Bollywood number that is a big musical. It's a big sappy music video. All right, so let's let's go around the table here and. Describe what experience you have with Bollywood, if any. Patrick. Oh, I mean, Slumdog Millionaire. That's not Bollywood. End of story. Okay. Well, I mean, I think that's... But, I mean, to be fair, I think that's most Americans' experience with Bollywood, if any, is Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah, it's it's a Western film with some Bollywood styling. The movie doesn't have a ton of hallmarks of a a Bollywood-style production, I don't think. But I'm no expert either. Okay, yeah. My experience with Bollywood, because I'm acting like I know a lot, I don't. I've seen bits of other Bollywood movies, like I'm talking five-minute segments, and I was sitting next to someone on a plane who was watching it, and I could I could see it, I couldn't hear it, and it looked amazing. I've seen plenty of Indian films, but never really a Bollywood movie. I've seen clips. I'm, I understand that they, you know, mash genres up. There's a, you know, often there are musical numbers to help tell the story, though they're not necessarily musicals innately um you know by nature but yeah very little experience um it was interesting to actually sit through an entire bollywood movie and we'll get into it but it left a mark on me elizabeth do you have any context for indian cinema no i don't and you know i tried to approach this movie with an open mind because of that because throughout this movie i kept thinking to myself you know hey like you don't know what bollywood cinema is like and so i tried to keep an open mind even when like you know there's some musical numbers i thought that was like what the fuck why is there a musical number right now this is a horror movie but i was like hey you know what this is a culturally different cinema like you don't know about this i didn't even see slumdog millionaire so i don't know anything about it it's a great film Uh, okay um (laughs) yeah so i don't know anything but i tried to approach with an open mind and you know it was a little bit shocking to see the musical numbers and the other Bollywood traditions in this film, but I kind of just was went with it. Well, and I, I mean, my first question, and I think this plays into really early plot developments in the movie, is so there's a fairly early scene where you see some of how this whole curse thing took place, how the princess's husband became cursed in the first place. This weird necklace arrives at their house and he's wandering around the house at night and there's this rocking chair that is creepily rocking back and forth on its own. We've seen this in like a thousand horror movies. And he walks around the front of it and this is so built up. Like him, the the suspense of what might or might not be in that rocking chair takes forever to get to. (laughs) And finally, the scare is just like, there's nothing in the chair. Yeah, and it's intended to be like, ah! And I was like, wait, 
We know there's nothing in the chair. Yeah, we know like, that. Has, has have these people? <laughs> has whoever directed this movie ever seen a horror movie? Yeah, before? they've seen but, 1920. They've seen 1920. <laughs> right. The Return of Evil. But but that and this was what kind of prompted my thought process was how much horror is there in Indian cinema in the first place? Mm-hmm. And actually, probably if any if we have any Indian listeners listeners of Indian heritage listening to this, maybe they can weigh in on this a little more. Let but us know. Tweet us at. Amoncast at twitter.com. But I did the like tiniest bit of research on this, and the answer is basically there's not a ton of, ton of Indian horror. And when there is, there's not a lot of budget to do like decent effects. And like Indian horror is generally, even among like Indian film aficionados, they're usually like, yeah, there's not a lot of great shit out there. Well, so this movie borrows pretty much every Western horror cliche known to man. Yeah. And uh, there is no shortage of them through the entire runtime of this film. And oh, I found no. that kind of interesting that it seems like, like the, it almost feels like they were forced to make a horror movie with no knowledge of what a horror movie is. So they're just like creepy chair, magical object that <laughs> possesses people. We'll get into some of those magical objects because there are many in this film. But. Well, well, the thing that I thought of, which Chris, I don't, I don't know if you guys have even seen this franchise, if Steve and Elizabeth have even seen this franchise, but when... At, right after that rocking chair moment when he so we see the mansion that the oh, prince God, is in in a wide shot and he's walking you can see a silhouette walking past the windows walking back out of the room and then all of a sudden there's a ghost woman walking behind him and i wrote a note in my phone and i said the indian insidious yeah question oh, absolutely mark. <laughs> no this movie is like you're a fil- indian filmmaker someone says gives you the insidious box set and says <laughs> make this with Bollywood trappings. Yeah. That's what it is. And, yeah. And I thought, you know, it was very interesting to see how that worked. And the whole, you know, the Indian cinema, it's got like this flourish to it, which we just don't have over here. Like, is there, is, is the, are we holding the shot long enough to zoom in? You bet your ass we're zooming in. You know? It's a very kinetic style of filmmaking. Yeah. There's so much energy there. It's controlled. It's not like, you know, so it's not like handheld. We're just going with the flow. That kind of kinetic. It's like, oh, can we orbit the camera right now? Let's find out. Oh, that looks great. Can we, you know, throw in a song and dance right now? It's great. Yeah, there. but is that really excusable? <laughs> There are, I mean, good question. There, there are what four musical numbers in this movie? I there think. are four. three. I think just there, three. Well, there's four songs. Maybe one of them is an end credit, end credit song. Oh, yeah. There's three musical. There's numbers at least and three one end in the movie. And yeah. these musical numbers, they progress the story. They kind of set up the backstory. They kind of show you what the characters are thinking. It's operatic. The lyrics of the songs are like. Oh, it's my forgotten love. She hurt me. Blah blah blah. I mean, I I guess they progress the story, but only in a one step forward, three steps back kind of way. All right, like they do explain some shit, but they linger over it so well, long. They're like, when is this going to end? Look, I came into this movie with an open mind. I didn't know anything about it, but I hate to go off track. But I found myself distracted this entire time by the drastically poor costuming of this film. I mean, it looks like they went on Amazon.com and got like $5.99 1920s costumes. Like, I literally have all the clothes that they wore in this movie in my closet. Like, it was so... Really? 
It was so horrifically bad. We should we <laughs> should show up at the next like Indian Comic Con with, with the cosplay, nineteen twenty London cosplay. That we should because it's ridiculous. I Can mean, you outfit woman, all of us? Like, this Can woman, we take a picture for our Instagram? Yes, 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 and yes. Of this all woman, the clothes. For this this woman is wearing like a mini skirt and like a scarf tossed over her shoulder and like one of those like cloche hats and like they're like oh perfect. This is like right on scene. It's absurd. Yeah, that's it's completely distracting. Along. It's completely ridiculous. And you know, it just looks cheap. This it looks cheap. It looks really cheap. Well, the whole film looks. Well, I mean, cheap. it is cheap. Do we know I the mean, budget? No, we don't know the budget. But I mean, it's Bollywood. Yeah, we like, know the I budget. Mean, it's uh, it's available. We can look it up. We can look it, it up. Doesn't matter. But I mean, I'm the basic. Saying. It is. I mean, like that's. I think that's sort of a thing you have to accept about this movie, though, is that it's not like a big budget movie. Like they're they're working on a on a low budget. Yeah, but you could have done better by going to Salvation Army. Like it was like it seems like they tried in the wrong way. We're going to have to convert that. We're going to have to convert it's the like 30.7. Standby, let's continue the conversation. <laughs> okay. I mean, one thing I'll say about the costuming is though like our one of our heroes is repeatedly referred to as a penniless shepherd. I kept going how does a penniless shepherd get those outfits? He looks fly as fuck. He looks for the fly whole as fuck. Movie. He yeah. looks like a dress. young George Harris. He's no, the sorry, best. Sorry, dress. young Ringo Starr. Yeah. Doesn't he with the earrings and yeah. the beard? Yeah, and um, he's the best. Oh dress. yeah, he does. And even the outfits. I mean, if you're looking at like White Album era Ringo Starr, yeah, he kind of does. <laughs> well, what we're getting at here is kind of a larger question, which is. Why have they decided to make this franchise set in, in 1920? No clue. When none of the sets nor costumes seem to suggest, or props seem to suggest 1920, or they, they're not authentic to the period at all. And I had, you know, this is so interesting because I had commented this. I had texted Chris. I was like, I am dreading watching this film, but I'm trying to go in with an open mind. And he was like, it's a period piece. Nobody does a period piece unless they're like ready to do a period piece. And I was like, okay. Yeah, like if you're scraping the bottom of the barrel in the you know indie horror catalog, you're not making a period piece, probably. Well, right. but we can only unless you have like the sets already like ready to go, and you're just mooching off someone else's set. I guess they're mooching off 1920 and 1920 other than... As interpreted through, like, Goodwill. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, like, with any other sequel, we can only assume that there was some creative reason to make the first one set in 1920 London, and then it did well, and so I was like, well, fuck, we'll make a, thir- a second and a third one. I've been in elementary school plays set in 1920 with more convincing costumes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is, well, that is not is, a false statement. Why London? Why London? Why? Why London? They don't well, even... It's like there seems London. to have been no... Well, yeah. Like, no, much well, of it doesn't have based in London. Britain. They do so little research that at one point when Veer has become infected... There's the priest, the, Prince. The prince who, be, who becomes infected. And we'll describe that a little more. Uh, the doctors where he's initially taken can't under can't figure out what's going on with him. So the narration uh, that the the, the protagonist uh, delivers says that he's just moved to a bigger hospital. It's like they did no research. Like there are like many famous hospitals in London and probably from that era. They didn't bother to like tie it into the location at all. <laughs> well, yeah, but, it was so Britain and India down. are closely tied historically. Though. Yeah, it makes more in India than in. Britain. I mean, I guess so. In that case, they should know a little better. <laughs> well, that's but. what I'm saying. I mean, well, first of all, they're more tied in India, and second of all, if so, they're going to do something in London, they should have at least like researched the name of the hospital instead of assigning something. Or the ridiculous. university that Fear was going. He's studying law, right? Right. I mean, yeah, but whatever. I mean, yeah, 
the lack of the name of a hospital really killed this movie for me. No, Let's it, move it, past it wasn't that a big topic. problem, but when when trying to figure out why the fuck this movie was set, when it was, and where yeah, it was, sure. it, it was puzzling to me that they sure. even bothered to include small details like that to make it feel more authentic. Well, anyway, early on, this dude gets infected by an evil spirit, which emerges out of a necklace that has been sent to the prince and princess from their home in India. And he's super excited. He's like, this is from our home. He puts it on her. And turns out there's an evil spirit in it that infects him. And she returns back to India to seek the help of her family to kind of like, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And they end up consulting one healer who fails because he's not strong enough to sort of eradicate the spirit eradicate the spirit so in that scene um that was that that's where i you know i i I enjoyed a lot of elements of this movie and one of the things i enjoyed was we're used to seeing a priest conduct an exorcism right i you know it's boring i don't want to see another priest conduct an exorcism in a movie ever again but here they're like oh this guy's can you heal this guy who's possessed by a demon so they go to this you know hindu priest basically i don't know what you would call him um and he like he's like oh well we gotta go with the mirror because the mirror is the vessel into the spirit world and so he goes to the mirror and he's like here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna fine that was fine i'm gonna lure the evil spirit with this photograph and we're gonna tie him down with mantras I was like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, fuck yeah. When Let's do you ever go. see someone man- using mantras non-ironically in a movie? And so he's looking in the mirror and he's like chanting a mantra and then he like gets dragged into the mirror and roughed up by the evil spirit and he's coming out and he's like, "Oh, that's too strong. Only that badass Jay can stop this badass." Which I mean brings up I think in my mind the closest comparison for this movie is it's an Indian exorcist. I mean, it's an yeah. Indian version of the exorcist. It's an exorcism movie. Yeah. Through the Hindu tradition, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah. And I think that, like, I mean, honestly, I wish we had, like, a Hindu person here to, like, weigh in on this because I didn't really question those tactics. No. You know? And I was kind of like, yeah, that seems fine. Like, mantras are super strong. You're going to do that. You're going to try to do this, whatever. And it seemed legit to me. Um, And I... It's made for an Indian audience. So I assume that that's also... I think that that's potentially universally legit. I mean, the problem with this movie is not... I think it's a a decent plot. It was fun to see um, sort of the standard exorcism plot through another culture's perspective. The problem with this movie is just the fact that it's a Bollywood movie. Like, there's Um, no sense of consistent consistency in tone. The acting is abysmal. Like, there are scenes where it feels like the actors are competing independently of each other to have the biggest reaction to whatever is going on. It's a it's an insane movie. You have to go into this realizing that you're going to see a different... It's going to feel like it was made by a different director every five minutes. So I'm glad you brought up the performances because I generally agree with you, but Chris referenced just a moment ago the, the character who's kind of introduced... So this, this uh, healer um, guru, whatever, guru, bas- yeah. basically gets fucked up by this spirit and he's like, oh, the only man who can take care of this is Jay. And then Jay shows up. Cut to Jay. Oh. In like the most badass intro shot of all time. 
a fucking camel, the silhouette of a camel walks across the screen in the foreground as Jay does like this typical like American like action movie badass stride out of the fucking forest. Like two earrings, tan suit, open collar, like four necklaces. Also, we should note this is the character who is a quote unquote penniless shepherd, as we're told multiple times. (laughs) I just want to chime in and say briefly that uh, I wasn't complaining about Jay. I should have made that clear. Jay is amazing. Jay is amazing. Which is bizarre because in reviews from India, yeah. everyone he, shits on yeah. Jay, the actor who yeah. plays him. Like they did not like, but I think yeah. I'm, I don't know. There's something relatable. He was something- he's great. He's just a, he's just a natural star. He's a just he oh, just has that star. like beautiful. He has great charisma. Yeah. He's and super charismatic. Say what you want about the the. Ex- stylistic excess of Bollywood stuff but like his intro and it's like the music's going crazy and it's like slow-mo a bunch of cuts crazy zooms on him like coming into the palace like hell yeah it's like how you would walk out for WWE or something like midnight blue backdrop and he's lit in this gold light it's like a comic book it's very comic book yeah I was fine with that yeah I mean I appreciated it because like if you're only half paying attention to this movie you know who's important yeah, like and, you know what you know when someone important is getting introduced. I'm talking about the you know the look of it, the comic look. Um, Do you want to explain let's, let's that about, wink in an about, audio fashion? Let's Elizabeth? talk about only half paying attention to this movie, Elizabeth. I think you and I can both relate on this. I mean, I, you know, this movie's tough to watch, and I admit that I like for some. For some, I tuned out. I tuned in and out of this movie, and I was just commenting that. I appreciate Bollywood because it definitely introduces important scenes and characters in a dramatic way. That's all I'm saying. I joked while watching this movie to Patrick that I was thinking of turning off the subtitles because there's... Mine as well. (laughs) You know when something important is happening and this is... It's such a... This movie is uh, so conscious of... Um, visual storytelling that you don't really need to know what anybody's saying, even with the musical numbers. Like you well, can just sort of hear like, the music and you well, know what emotion is trying is they're yeah. trying to communicate. With the introduction of Jay, it's like you didn't need a subtitles to be like a penniless shepherd. In fact, that had, that confused you. It would have been better to just have him walk in camel across the screen. I mean, it's kind of an important part of the plot that he is a penniless shepherd, and the visuals don't represent that at all. So actually, I would advance the theory that the subtitles are integral to understanding this film. Well, you know what? If you care to understand it. If you care to understand it. It looked, you know, half the movie looked great, and, you know, a movie that has a sense of visual storytelling, you don't get that often these days, you know? know, Agreed. A lot of movies, a lot of horror movies, the color palettes look like an armpit or an... It's all dark. Oh, Whose armpit are you I talking disagree. about? I don't think any part of this movie looked great, ladies and gentlemen. No, parts of it looked phenomenal. Name one part. Like Name when, any part. Like these scenes like where there's the desert backgrounds and the sunsets there's, or the palaces with the oranges and green. the gold. What are you talking about? That was pure Who? green? That was clearly... I could have, Chris, a, okay, the desert backgrounds was definitely a bad example yeah, because a, the one desert background we're all thinking of is in the one terrible music number where it's clearly a green. Screen, it's a green, it looks a green awful. screen or not? Yeah. Otherwise, terrible. I'm with Chris. There are some exotic locations in this movie that were beautiful. I do not think that the film had a cohesive, beautiful look to it. Not there were select shots that looked all. great, and then there were shots that looked like they were like like second or third or fourth or fifth unit. And there were no sequences that looked great. The so the, when we meet Jay. He's going in to vanquish an evil spirit oh, from hell. some girl. Favorite scene. Yeah, I was going to say, we definitely have to talk about this scene, because this is possibly the best scene in the film. 
Yeah, so there's a there's a girl, there's a princess, of uh, unrelated princess or something, and she's possessed, and Jay goes in, and it is a sensation. The second we walk into that room, it feels like like a Dario Argento movie. Yeah, I mean, the talk about lighting. visuals. And it, it, the scene, maybe I should wait until we describe a bit more what happens, but I, I kind of wondered if this movie has more of a sense of humor than, than it seems to about it, its um, relation to the horror genre, and Western horror specifically. Yeah, I mean, it's bright primary colors. I mean, it, it reminded me a little bit of Evil Dead. There's oh, this, I thought of Drag Me to Hell. This oh, yeah, there's scene. this zombie so girl the on top. the bed. There's a possessed girl who's tied to the bed, and the evil spirit is... I mean, the woman who plays the possessed woman is just overacting to the extreme it's a lot mm-hmm. of fun i was entertained I, I had never seen anything like that before it it's a fun twist on like the uh, well I, I don't even know if this is a trope but i mean every exorcism seems to take place in a bed and the yeah. bed in this scene is a character in and of itself it is like roaming around the room and going <laughs> up and down and you know just being dragged across the place the 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 demon or the witch or whatever the hell is you know you never know if she's under the bed or on top of the bed or somewhere else in the room. It's just well, there's crazy. this super fun shot where he's like looking under the bed and like he can see her feet, and then the camera pans up as he looks up and she's there or, or she's, she's not, not there, there, and then it pans back down as he looks under. Yeah, it it, it just it plays with you in a really it, fun way. It's a fun character. I the mean, who the demon witch? Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. You know, it's fun. Totally. She appears with no rhyme or reason in different places and it's fun you know i mean yeah. that i think that it's not scary but it's fun it's definitely not it's definitely played for comedy yeah it's comedy um and we should reiterate this is like a, and we should reiterate this is like a self-contained scene it's like a bottle episode that has almost nothing to do with the rest of the movie other than like explaining jay. to you like how how cool jay is Except we never really... He's pretty fucking cool, it turns out. But how is he so cool? We don't even know. He's like, cool because on the basis of this scene ass. alone. Like, Shepard turned exorcist is one of the most bizarre career transitions yeah. I've ever heard of him. And we life. never and quite learn how he got that way. No, we totally learn how he got that way. He went to prison because of his forbidden love with the heroine. I will say, this has to be part of the conversation. I found this movie overwhelming, and there are things that I simply did not grasp or understand as I was watching it. I did watch it. I just I find could. that so hard to believe because it couldn't be more clear. The, the, I'm sure it was clear, but I also didn't find it interesting. So I'm happy that you were here to fill in the details. Okay. Well, the, the de- specific detail here that's important is that Jay was in prison for five years because of his forbidden love with the princess that we find out later on in the movie happened. And while he was in prison, he studied with a guru for five years who gave him the gifts of exorcism so that he could like go out and save people when he got out of prison. And so that's how he became a badass. That's how he went from shepherd to badass. Penniless shepherd. Penniless shepherd to penniless badass because he doesn't accept he doesn't <laughs> accept payment for his services. Venmo, maybe. Because he's, he's doing it out of the goodness of his heart. So yeah, anyways, after this like badass scene, then he is visited by the princess, right? She goes to visit him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's like, "Fuck no," because as it turns out, they were lovers in a past life. And she yes. sold him out and we're like, "What?" because they got caught about to have sex. And, and her uncle, her uncle, the Indian Alan Rickman. The Indian Alan Rickman caught them about to have sex and instead tried to rape her and then Jay fought him off but it became very confusing because like royalty 
and whatever, she t- ended up testifying against Jay in court. We don't know why. Yeah. You read so much more sex into that whole situation than I did. You know, that's there, pretty accurate, right? There was some implication. I was puzzled about whether the uncle was her lover or what the fuck. He no, wasn't her lover. Was he was trying strange. to. He was like, just a perv. He was just a pervert. He was just a perv. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a theme here about commoners versus royals going on. That's throughout the whole movie. For sure, Jay is of a lower caste, and it's unacceptable for. Um, how do we pronounce her name again? Shivangi. Shivangi. Yeah. Unacceptable. Well, I think for that her that, that is probably him. something that, like in Bollywood, is like easily. I don't want. I mean, maybe it's like it's easily like understood and translated. Well, Rather, the whole you yeah. know forbidden love sort of thing is a timeless universal, tale. and yeah. and in India it it corresponds very much to you know what goes on in their history and to some ex- to some respects today. Um, it's really played up in this movie. It's really played up in this movie, and I thought the, it was compelling. I think also because it takes place in 1920. I mean, maybe the that's the yeah, that's yeah. I mean, true. that stuff still exists, but I feel like it's heightened in this film, and maybe that's another reason for having it in that setting. They yeah. can dramatize those aspects of their culture a bit more. I don't know. It's just so on the nose, though. It it's is just like we are royals, and he is a penniless shepherd, and that's it's, true. It's, it's not the most. It's just art driven art. home. Time and time again throughout this film, but and also saying in the past, maybe you know everything kind of has kind of a, a more mythic quality to it. I thought you know it's kind of like a storybook tale. I like that a fable morality yeah. play. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And, and a lot of the a lot of the like plot is sort of I don't know how to say, it, but it's sort of like a fable. You know, the like princess must like testifies against her lost her love and he ends up like in jail and she ends up with like someone else does she really love him we don't know it's like very dramatic and exaggerated and it should be noted that so when we have this flashback bollywood sequence to their love you know that basically explains sort of their love jay and shivangi's love story to us there's a flute solo in this thing that blew my fucking mind because there's like so there's and it's a weird number in the first place because sometimes they're lip syncing to the music and sometimes they're not and at one point a flute starts to play and then all of a sudden Jay picks up a flute and he starts to play the fucking flute and it's diegetic music and then he hands it to Shivangi and she's like playing during this scene too and it's it's absolutely the second best flute playing scene I've seen this year after Alien Covenant. God damn it. I wrote this down because I wanted to bring it up on the show and ask you which you preferred. It's on my notes right here. David and Walter. But I, I'm glad that you, you think exactly what I thought you would have. David and Walter, better flute performance, but just by a hair. Just by a hair. But all those scenes, you know, the music numbers, I enjoyed them a lot. First of all, I thought the music was great. I thought the music was great. I not not a genre I would ever pick to listen to, but in the context of the movie. I was dancing in my seat. I was dancing, and the visuals, phenomenal. The, it, everything was popping. I, it worked for me, Elizabeth. The music was pretty what? intolerable. I, you know, the song that you played us in on, I thought that that probably was the best one. The other ones, I was like, oh, well, this I'm is gonna so play just out saccharine. With a one. Just saccharine pop. Like, did Shit. the visuals impact your experience of the music, though? Like, did the like fade out visuals of like no. two people in poorly in poor costumes 
like, I liked touching it. each other. It was romantic. You? It was it was romantic, and the music was good. No, seriously, Chris. Seriously, are you fucking shitting me. I'm not fucking shitting you. I liked it. I mean, like, don't, dude. Come on. I know that you appreciate like true romance. Is yeah. this what you appreciated? You know, maybe because I'm a little bit of a romantic, I responded to this movie. And to two hey, people. maybe maybe Chris is more of a romantic than you. Hmm. I had be. I had two distinct experiences watching this movie. Yeah, I was, Steve, I was warring with myself over it because would you um, would you say you had two things to say about this movie? Steve? I, I would say that uh, to quote Patrick, I have two things to say. Okay. I'm holding up two fingers, two very very aggressively, All right. uh, as Patrick All right. does. Two things. Yeah. Uh, part of Bring me him. really appreciated the Bollywood sensibility, the romanticism. I love that. Like it's so uncynical and so um, energetic and, and buoyant and vibrant and colorful. I love that. But also, I found this movie to be interminably long and tedious and chaotic in a way that I just couldn't connect to. I wanted to. I felt. I felt the emotional core of the film many times throughout but more often than not I was bored every time I checked the runtime, there was 30 minutes more left than I was comfortable with <laughs> well you know what the romanticism you mentioned it's it's like La La Land you're talking about this you know we cut some musical numbers in they're sharing a flute sometimes they're actually playing the flute sometimes they're not you for know? the record, I don't like La La Land. Yeah, for the well, record, I hate La La Land. Well, you know what? That explains why you hate this movie. For the record, I have problems with La La Land. I, like, I really appreciate that you like this movie so much because I feel like that, that's a total surprise to yeah, me. Chris, I thought I'm, you would have hated it more I than appreciate any of us. your opinion. And I enjoy hearing your perspective on it. No, I, I actually really enjoyed this movie. And um, if you liked La La Land and you didn't like 1920 London, you might just be a racist. <laughs> <laughs> I will go to intermission because it's the same. It's the same criticisms I'm hearing. You know. So another comment I want to make is a really visceral reaction that I had to the character of Shivangi because we've talked about this whole thing where uh, Jay goes on trial for attacking, assaulting, whatever her uncle who interrupts them while they're trying to have sex, whatever. According to Elizabeth. they were trying to meet up. They're trying, they were to, trying meet to meet up. up. For right. what they're not trying to like. They're not in the middle. <laughs> it wasn't a guys? romantic venue. Yeah. It was like some ruins, but whatever. Dude, you know, who knows? Seems romantic. romantic to me. They but can do it wherever they want. There's this dramatic trial scene where she comes out and the judge is like, you know, say your piece, and she just lays into him just with no no thought remorse, whatsoever, yeah. no remorse whatsoever. It's just like he's an asshole. No and I I don't know him. He's a terrible person. Oh, and and this was this was my note on that scene. Shivani is a huge asshole! Exclamation point. At that point yeah. in the film, I was like, "Fuck this yeah, character." You're on Team Jay Bigley, and uh, Jay was Jay screaming. <laughs> team Jay Bigley. Uh, is calm that what down. You said? Calm down. <laughs> Jay is screaming. Shivani, why are you lying? And I'm sure the cinematography is like slow mo, zoom in, like there guards are dragging him away, and and it's sensational. that whole scene is kitchen sink. I love what. I I love about this movie is like it, it i can't think of a genre that isn't represented in this movie in some way like once yeah. i got to the courtroom i was like all right well that's the last one to check off the list <laughs> <laughs> yeah really the the stuff going on with jay and shivangi is um the emotional core of the movie but the you know the dramatic sort of plot centers on her sick husband who's possessed in the hospital getting sicker by the day getting more demonic by the day in so many hilarious ways <laughs> how did we feel about that I oh mean, my god I it, love oh sorry go ahead no it's just 
It's delightful, really, in the ways that he gets possessed. I mean, he, like, does admirable, like, backwards bridge and, like, walks on all fours across the floor. Mm-hmm. He oh, can- that's my favorite, the, cl- the classic exorcist crab crawl, which yeah, is the, the most crawl. lackluster version of it I, I could have possibly imagined. <laughs> With, like, you know, his, like, knees out of frame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I... Maybe it's lackluster. The possession effect that kind of impressed and creeped me out the most was when his eyes kind of like one went up and one went oh, down yeah. at the same time and just oh. kind of like wobbled. And I was like, oh, that's pretty creepy. And then it was immediately followed by X Files, like black oil, like just just coming black out. shit, like kind of covering his eyeballs and then coming out. And it's like this movie's right. a lot of that. It shows up in the portraits later in the, mm-hmm. the royal family's home. Yeah. In the background. But, yeah. I mean, in terms of possessions, like, they throw everything and the kitchen sink at the possessed characters in this movie. <laughs> like, any way they can fuck them up, contort their body, make them talk funny, make them float, they've done it. And it works about half the time, I would say. Half the time, you know, it's a little cheesy, and sometimes they don't know the limits of their effects. But, um, you know... Some of it looked great. Some of it scared the hell out of me, to be honest. I thought there were some... I mean, I thought there were some legitimately creepy, scary moments in this movie. Hmm. Which, like what? Um, One scene that was really creepy was when she was... Her husband seemingly at one point recovers, and it's a very emotional moment of the movie, and she's very excited, and she hugs him and stuff. And then while she's hugging her supposedly recovered husband, like, she notices some, like, demonic shit going on in the house. And, like, you're like, oh, she's not actually hugging her husband. What is she hugging? And, and that you know, I thought that was very good. And, and the movie kind of built up to that in a way where it, it had a good payoff for me. So, but Jay gets to the house... Finally, or hospital or hospital, or yeah, where where the husband prince whatever is confined. Veer, Veer is his name. <laughs> they, and, they um, they, they before that happens, it's hilarious because they have the English doctor who's like the the poor man's answer to Max von Sydow. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I couldn't think of a name. That's the perfect one. <laughs> and he's like, oh, he just has tetanus. Like after he's done, yeah. like you know, you, the most demonic shit you oh, can imagine. Oh, dude, yeah. And remember, remember what the doctor, the medical doctor's response to that diagnosis is. Remember the scene where he like tries to physically bend the dude's limbs and fingers back into position. <laughs> like the dude is contorting, right. like his fingers and arms are like turning into a pretzel, and the doctor just tries to like physically like break him back into a normal human dude, position. Dude, it was 1920. I'm pretty sure they actually did that shit back then. Yeah. I mean, yeah, possibly. And there's the very educational moment where the same doctor says he has tetanus and this is 1920 and we haven't found the cure for tetanus yet or something, mm. <laughs> something I don't think that. he says that he doesn't say it's the year 1920 but he's like this is tetanus and we haven't found the cure for tetanus yet yeah he does like say that, that. I do like, remember that's that. almost <laughs> verbatim I remember that <laughs> he has enough foreknowledge that he knows we're gonna find it so <laughs> I mean this movie plays so fast and loose with the time period at one point there's clearly like a 1950s car um, it's yeah. insane it's, it's over the top but anyway so, so yeah, Jai so, shows up yeah so Jay Jay Jay, shows, Jay goes to the fucking hospital to like and, and, no he goes to the mansion he goes to their home to figure out like what might have caused this weird possession and he's like sort of interrogating Shivangi who he's still kind of rightfully being kind of an asshole to at this point you know he's like this girl fucked me over but okay you know I'll help you out 
And he's like, so has anything weird happened? You know, is there anything strange that Vera might have touched? And there's this conspicuous, like the necklace that they've both acknowledged earlier in the movie was like, oh, this is a little strange, but a beautiful necklace that we received. (laughs) And she's just like, no, not really. And he's like, anything that might have arrived from a strange part of India. And it's also very clearly set up that this necklace arrived from a weird part of India which I, I probably would be better educated on if I was Indian or had any knowledge on any of this. Anyone who's Indian who's listening to this was probably like, you're, you're an idiot. Maybe they just made but, up this province of India. I don't know. It could be like Transylvania. Maybe. But she's just like, oh, no, not really. And it takes her forever to think of this fucking necklace. And then she's like, oh, the necklace. And then they realize that's the problem. It's all great. Another surprising thing about this movie uh, being Bollywood and everything, there was an intermission. And we're going to take an intermission right now. And you may think you know what this movie's about, but what if I told you there is a twist like you would not believe? Stay with us or just go watch the movie. The choice is yours. And when we come back from intermission, we're going to spoil everything. Welcome back to every. <laughs> what's it? Wait, what's our podcast what's called? What's our Chris? podcast called? It's called Every Horror Movie on Every Netflix. Hindu Movie. On <laughs> <laughs> we really should switch tacks to that. It'd be easier. <laughs> yes, every Hindu slash horror movie on Netflix, and we're here with a fucking revelation. Are you ready? Are you ready for the twist? So this whole movie, we, we told you the premise. You know that Jay is the ultimate exorcist. And he's, you know, the lost love of, what's her name? Shivangi. He's the lost love of Shivangi. He's her only hope to save her sick husband. What if I told you, listeners, that Jay is responsible for the prince's evil poisoning? He's an evil exorcist. He's an evil exorcist. He was the exorcist. He sent the the pendant to the house. He sent it to the house. I mean, wouldn't you too? After what she did to him? You totally understand why Jay does it. Absolutely. After seeing that flashback in the courtroom? But let's not. This is a shocker. Because he's at the palace. He's working on this, this exorcism case. He's trying everything in the book to get this guy healthy. There's some great sequences that you've never seen in an exorcism movie before. Like, he uses raw meat to lure out the demon, and then the demon starts devouring the raw meat. It's an amazing scene. He tries everything, and there's a really intense scene with lots going on in it. And right at the, like, pivotal climax of this scene, he's trying to destroy the locket in the river, and then he's like, oh, ha, I'm actually the bad guy. And he throws the locket away, and he's like, now they'll never be able to save the prince. And he reveals... <laughs> And he reveals that this locket is both the source of the curse and also the way to break the curse. That's why he's throwing it in the river. That's why he throws it in the river. And this musical cue we're playing, we're playing it for a reason. Because for the rest of the movie, every time you see Jay's face, you hear... 
I mean, that's a slight exaggeration, but <laughs> every time Jay does something kind of fucked up, you But and it's not a loop. It'll play five times. Yeah. But, so, but I mean, there's this kind of intense... Get it. <laughs> there's this kind of intense scene that we build up to. He tells Shivangi and her aunt or something. Who's the old woman? Her aunt, whatever. Her aunt, I don't know. Maid, doesn't He matter. tells them to, like, stand in the house and recite these mantras. Mantras and, again. And he's going to go throw the necklace in the river. And so there's this intense scene. It's kind of intensely intercut as he's, like, speeding in this car to the and river. And they can't stop saying the they mantras. Can't, they have to... Yeah, they one must, of them, at least, has to be speaking yeah. at any given time. And he throws the necklace in the river and then all of a sudden reveals in basically just a monologue to no one that he has just fucked everyone by and throwing this necklace great, in the river. There's a great, like, really quick montage that shows him, like, mailing the pendant and, like, out of contact, digging up, like, a grave. And there's some, like, withered skeleton in the grave and he pulls the necklace off the grave. Loved it. Love that part. And then there's this... I I, I mean, the, the mark of a really... Interest one of one of the marks are really interesting movie to me. Whether a movie leaves an impact on me or not is whether a certain there's like if is there a shot in that movie that sticks with me? And the shot of Jay just standing on this river over I don't know the Thames the river or Thames whatever. Big Ben is in the, the background. Yeah, yeah, and it's this golden tin shot. He has his arms raised above his head. He looks like just this evil spirit wide shot, and then the title intermission appears in the lower left corner. That shot is just burned on my fucking skull. I was shocked. (laughs) Just then, too. I was shocked because I had taken at least five breaks with this movie before then. If I had known there was an intermission, I would have made a concerted effort to wait for that. (laughs) Yeah, and you need it. You need the intermission. If you if you, I needed a sixth intermission definitely by that point. And I mean, how many movies have intermissions anymore? Maybe it's a common thing in Bollywood. I suspect. Yeah, but that's sixty years old. Doesn't matter. (laughs) <laughs> but dang it's also only a two-hour movie like it's an intermission seems a little absurd i wish it were longer really yeah i mean all right you know i was ready for it to end it could have ended a half hour earlier than it did but you know what i'm trying to say i enjoyed this movie i was officially delighted as of the words intermission appearing on the screen that renewed my energy i was like all right you know i was ready to be done with this film i was like i can't believe there's 50 minutes you know what actually i i'm in and it's i think giving me a break i feel like it's going to reveal some fresh surprises in the final act i think maybe because that was the moment where it sort of sealed the the fact for me that i think it does have a sense of humor about itself like you can't have that that shot of him like doing mm. this extremely like right. over the top evil gesture over the river with oh intermission title and not have like and that have title, a that humor. very horror-looking font too. It's yeah. just so silly. I yeah. just I laughed out loud when I saw it. I was. Yeah. I, I disagree. I like this movie, but I think the movie was very serious. I think that we can laugh at it from, you know, not being of the culture, and we can appreciate things that weren't intended. But I think I think like that's just how you do a movie in India. I don't think so because I've read there are only two reviews on Rotten Tomatoes for this film. Official yep. reviews. They are both from the United Arab Emirates and they're both they Terrible. crash this yeah. movie. And reading the reviews, they they review them the same way that we would review a horror movie in this our culture. Maybe Patrick a good has something to say. Juncture. Yeah, I, I got a couple of great quotes from these reviews which I saved. My favorite I think is and, and, and apparently the evil spirit in this film, and this may have been referenced in, in the film and I missed it, but it's called a, a Dion, Diane, I guess, apparently. Oh, okay. in, in, missed that. 
Hindu. So it's the thing. Um, and so this one quote <laughs> said, one look at the Diane and the first thing that will pop in your head is, for devil's sake, someone get the poor woman a stylist. <laughs> With her sense of makeup, anyone... Did Perez Hilton write this <laughs> <laughs> With her sense of makeup, anyone would be looked down upon by their peers. No wonder she rages, roars, and rumbles to find herself a soul. Uh, <laughs> I just oh. thought that was great. Anyway. I felt like that was sort of like a misogynistic review. Yeah. But I also wonder, like, we don't know anything about how Bollywood films are supposed to be filmed we don't know anything about how bollywood films are reviewed and we don't know anything about how like bollywood film actors are supposed to portray themselves so at the end of the day it doesn't matter because really you know what the movie that they made is probably not the movie that i watched so i'm watching it with my own filters everyone who watches this movie in the west is going to be watching it with their own filters so you just judge it on those merits yeah and i mean i think we are all open-minded enough like i said before i'd be super interested you know if someone who is who does have experience with these kind of movies listens to this i'd be super interested to hear their take and i i made some effort to research a little you know what indian horror bollywood horror is like and how this movie was actually received by those who pay attention to this sort of thing and it was received poorly. and we can only do that sort of research and you know be open-minded to whoever might have feedback right. on this and right. then like assess it through our own lenses and on uh youtube this movie's been ripped and posted to youtube like five times so if you don't have netflix i'm not sure why you're listening to this cast but <laughs> you can find this movie on youtube and the YouTube comments out of India, universal acclaim. YouTube people really? love this movie. Dude, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, you know, but YouTube people are a cut below. <laughs> <laughs> but I did love this movie. Well, so are film critics who what hated it. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, you no, know. I love film critics. So the, the twist is interesting because, you know, the movie gets very far on its premise, and then there's the twist, and everything shifts. And well, you should you should specify the first twist. What's the first twist? The the one we're talking about. Oh, what's the second twist? We're getting to that. Okay, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm sure I'll remember. Anyway, well, should I just explain it now? No, I mean, it's not like okay. We're gonna wait. All right, all right. You fine. <laughs> um, but this Chris is wants a, to maintain the suspense a second time. Yeah, sure. But this is um, you should know, we have a second intermission for the second twist. So then you're yeah, seeing definitely. stuff. You're still seeing crazy stuff, but now you see Jay, our hero. You know, he's pulling the strings. He's you know, he's working at odds. He's trying to kill this prince, and it's you know, he's definitely becomes the villain. And he's just as compelling as a villain as he was a hero. Yeah, absolutely, because Shivangi fucking sold him out. Yeah, it's great stuff. And the horror sequences... You know, sequences, she's the 1%. She sold him up the river. This is just a everything in the kitchen sink horror movie. There's so many different setups. So, so much of it doesn't work, but so much of it does work. I've seen things I've never seen in a horror movie before in this movie that I just thought were fascinating. Uh, there's a scene where they're in a graveyard, a climactic scene where they're in a gl- graveyard. Oh, it's amazing. The graveyard is exploding, it's exploding. around Jay the entire time. Uh, the graveyard scene is amazing, yes. You know what's another amazing scene? The lemon scene. The lemon scene. You could we could go on all day about all the different lemon setups. MVP of the movie. I think. But so the lemon scene is important because that's sort of the first big scene after this twist where you realize, <laughs> yes, that musical cue plays most during that scene. Yeah. This is the first big set piece after you realize that Jay has been orchestrating all this evil shit all along, and so he pulls out a lemon. 
and while everyone else still doesn't realize that he's like been fucking with them for all this time says i'm going to put this lemon out and it's going to move around the house and it's going to find a spirit who's going to help us and shivangi the princess you have to go chase it so there's this extended sequence where she's chasing this lemon that's just rolling around the mansion bouncing downstairs yeah bouncing downstairs jolly old time and the whole time we keep cutting back to jay who is like manipulating this sort of pentagram on his hand and every time that we see him manipulate the pentagram we hear every time every time he does it and it's you know what a weird sequence and you, you don't see that in another horror movie a lemon why a lemon? And then when she finally does catch the lemon, it's of course a severed eyeball. <laughs> like that was it, weird. It magically like transformed. That was one of the scenes that I liked because, like, that was so weird. And like, there was a decent amount of creep involved in that when she's like chasing lemon. That was fun. It's a I couple good it. jump scares. Yeah, you know, that was Dees. Dees. <laughs> Is that a thing? Do the kids say that now? I don't know. I thought it was Dees. Dees. That's a thing. It's a meme. We're gonna say Dees from now on. It's just a this movie. This movie was many things, but it was not Dees. Anyway, continue. It's just a movie that's not. It's playing by its rules that I've never seen before in a in a supernatural horror movie. Although I'd like to ask, like I again, I you know this is our fifth episode of this podcast, and I have yet to be like scared by a movie which I feel a little disappointed by because I'm really easily scared like again The Ring made me have nightmares for four years like I can't believe that I haven't yet seen a movie that keeps me up at night and again this you know 1920 London did not scare me at all no there were a couple I thought you know um, hair raising moments fleeting moments Uh ish you know, ish. Um, but really, I just appreciate this movie as just like fun house horror. Like we're going through a haunted house. What's gonna pop out at me? I'm yeah. seeing crazy stuff. Yeah. I'm learning about mantras. I yeah. I also <laughs> I also have not been learning scared, about yeah. mantras. Like it's really scary. film. I've not but, been scared either. Like, I, but then again, we're still in the numbers. Yeah, yeah. There are yeah. some. There's a long way to go. There are some classics on the list that I'm excited to get to. There are some recent additions that I think will probably provide some fright. Um, and I don't know, maybe some some chills and spills and thrills along the way. But it's early in the game. It's very early in the game. How are we holding up at this point? I think we should take a break and after five movies. We need another intermission. It's been five minutes since the last one. No, I think that's a... <laughs> I think that's a good question. How is everybody holding up with this endeavor? Not great. I had a rough time this week watching these movies. It was difficult to fit the time in to watch them, especially because I wasn't really interested innately in them, but I put as much effort as I could into viewing them. Uh, this is a time in my life where I don't really need any more horror <laughs> but i i will charge forth some of these movies are kind of hard to to get through i i think maybe you know a fun feature for future episodes episodes might be if you weren't reviewing it at what point would you have turned this movie off <laughs> i can tell you when i turn this movie off <laughs> um, if you were reviewing it what time did you turn this movie off? <laughs> but uh I do really enjoy because I don't even read the descriptions on Netflix before I start watching these. I love sitting down, seeing a movie title, hit and play, and having no idea what's going to happen. And so far in our first five movies, there's been an incredible diversity 
I think. Of, oh, know, certainly. Yeah, you never know what you're going to get in the in the queue. But we've yet to achieve anything that is even of like subpar. We haven't found our our, our our postman chocolate yet. Our uh, paper boy. Huh? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, there's someone out there who's familiar with the Whitman sampler, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right. Well, oh. kudos to that guy. Okay, um, I, I think I know what you're talking about. Anyway, but like, okay, so the second twist that I keep referring to is that we find out that Shivangi is not actually an asshole and that she right. only testified against Jay because... Family pressure. It was the only because way her to family save his pressure. life. They were yeah. going to kill him. Her family would have killed him. <laughs> so she's like, I can send him to jail under false accusations or he would be fucking dead. Right. So I, in my mind, it was, I, I, you know, my mind was a pretzel. Because I was like, Jay's a badass. Wait, like Veer? Yeah, yeah. Seriously, my my mind was like Jay uh, was like Veer's body. I was like, wait, Jay's a badass. Jay's an asshole. Shivangi's an asshole. Wait, Shivangi was just trying to save Jay's life. I was all over the place. I mean, this movie just played me like a fucking. It was an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, I had fun post intermission. That's when I really got into it. I feel Me like it was too. kind of a slog getting, yeah. up to, getting up to there. There were some fun sequences that we talked about, like the exorcism sequence with the, the red Argento lighting. But after that, it was like 10 episodes of a soap opera combined yeah. into 50 minutes. Yeah. Melodrama. Great stuff. Yeah. So what else? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the graveyard scene. Whatever. Yeah, so basically there there's two big action scenes towards the end one of them i don't even know that they go to the cemetery to try to like bury the amulet because after jay learns that that shivangi did not actually betray him all of a sudden he's like gotta make this right he's gotta make this right but the evil he's unleashed is just too powerful they go to a graveyard and all hell breaks loose literally and figuratively <laughs> And yeah, like but stones are fine, exploding like, in this. Yeah, my like, favorite a bunch of shit part happens. was there's a graveyard. There's a there's a stone angel on, on top of a grave marker that comes to life, that which I'd sweet. never seen oh, before. Right. I'd yeah. never seen that before. But then, like, it all kind of it's like okay, cut. We're done with the graveyard scene. Steve, what did you think of the graveyard scene? I mean, it was absurd, but it was fun. I mean, it felt like an act, like suddenly this is an action movie. Things are exploding everywhere. Jay is being catapulted left and right, By crashing down forces, on yeah. tombstones. The the one thing uh, I can fault it for is there is a large CGI raven. Oh my god, we didn't talk all about the, ravens, the fucking birds, the birds or the cat. Looks like the birdemic. cat was great. It's all great. It's it's that's these were like everything birdemic is. level yeah. CGI birds in this movie. Yeah. Fantastic. So here's but what so, I'll say about the CGI. CGI omnipresent in this movie. Um I'd say a third of the time or maybe a quarter of the time things look pretty good. Um, especially when people are getting possessed and stuff. And uh, then the rest of the time, it's pretty bad. But at least the filmmakers seem to know the CGI is not very good. You see most of the CGI in wide shots or as background pieces. Other than this one CGI raven, which just like hogs the frame for way too long. In the graveyard scene. In the graveyard scene. Where it really scene. takes prominence. Oh, oh is there, are, in the there are also flocks of ravens yeah. in previous scenes that look terrible. Like you can tell Because it's the same yeah. animation, just yeah. repeated in movement. Kind of like Spawn. Not unlike the hell sequences in Spawn. But, yeah. No, but Spawn is very proud of its crappy CGI. It wants you to look at it. This movie doesn't want you... You know, it's like, 
okay, it's there, we're setting a scene, but it doesn't dwell on the bad CGI very much. That may be a little too generous, but okay. I see your point, though. It's not, it's not the focal point. Like, it, it always serves a purpose, I guess. Yeah. I don't know what the crows are about, but... Yeah, it's so, probably from Hindu <laughs> mythology. But once we get past this graveyard thing, it literally none of us know what the fuck's happening. Literally. I, I, no, I know. Then... No clue. We... For some reason, they have to go to a hilltop where there's not moonlight. Yeah. Also, great Il- moment. Also, ill articulated why that has to happen, but they consult someone. <laughs> they're like, love this part. They're like, are there any are there any locations around here where uh, people go when it's really dark at night? Like you know, a hill or a mountain? Yeah, like a hill where there might not be any moon. And this guy's like, no, no, there's really nothing, anything, really nothing like that. And they're like, are you sure? There's really nowhere people go like that. And then he goes. And this is literal. I I, yeah. I transcribed this, this from the subtitles. This is bad. He says, wait a minute. There is a place called No Moon Hill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no it was Hill. ridiculous. It yeah. was ridiculous. But anyways. Anyways. Um, so yeah, Where do we go from there? I don't fucking a, remember. They end up in a barn. They got three knives. There's a big process they got to do to slay the demon. There's another fantastic action scene. The barn comes out of nowhere. Long story short, because, I mean, we don't need to get into all the details, probably. Jay goes into the mirror, into the spirit world. He stabs a witch demon. Basically, he slays the evil. He brings the prince back to life. But in the process, he seals himself behind the mirror. He breaks the mirror. And he becomes damned to the spirit world forever. And you know what? That scene was also pretty interesting, too, because he goes into this alternate mirror world, which, again, reminded me of Insidious, because it's like the further, the further very alternate much. reality kind of thing. He's in this spirit world on the other side of the mirror. And the the mirror world looks exactly like the barn, except it's, like, blue-tinted. And so all the shit that's happening in the mirror world is also happening in the real world. So, like, as people are, like, throwing around bales of hay and barrels and pitchforks Sh- and whatever. being, like, hit by barrels and has glass in Yeah, arms. back in the real world, the same shit is moving around the same way. And that was pretty cool. Yeah, so, and then at the end, you know, the, the prince is back to life. The, the happy couple is married again. And then they're like, you know what? Jay sacrificed himself for us, and they put his picture on the mantle next to the royals. Wait, are you thinking of Pearl Harbor? It's just as good. It's better. Okay. Jay would do anything for love. Yeah, I think. And he would do that. He would do that. He would do anything. Everything and anything. I found that really um, confusing. (laughs) <laughs> After all he'd been through at this point, but also it's kind of heartwarming. It's a movie, you know, you know it affirms humanity, you know? It's a positive <laughs> movie at the end. Like, we've seen so many of these movies where it's just like everybody dies, it's just very bleak, very cynical. This movie is, you know, uplifting in the end, even though it's one the of the end, scarier movies we watched, I thought. But in the end, the royal family is, st- like, still holds the same status, and it seems of ridiculous course. that he has to sacrifice his life to even approach that status. Well, he also created... He also, like, cast a horrible spell and almost killed a prince. Like, he, you know... He's also but atoning for, for himself. Reason. I understood why he did that. I mean, oh, yeah. I would have been pretty pissed off, too, if yeah. I had access to magical powers. Right, but revenge... I mean, you know. you know, we talked last episode about 13 Cameras, about movies that set up unsympathetic characters and then change your perceptions of them. And this is, like, a great example of that to me because I totally understood why... Jay was like being an asshole at first and then I totally understood why Shivangi did what she did like yeah. I was like this 
twisted my expectations in two different ways that I sympathized with characters I didn't expect to sympathize with at all. Well, guys, any other thoughts? Patrick, would you screw it, cue it, or view it? I'm going to say view it. You know, I mean, it was super entertaining. I didn't expect to at first. I was not super with it at first, but it's a really entertaining movie. Elizabeth, screw it, cue it, or view it. Okay, this is like the ultimate screw it for me. This movie was absolutely terrible. I This is two hours of my life that I can't get back. I'm still mad about it. There's nothing good about it. Everything that we've talked about on this podcast is like fine to talk about. It's like worse than The Room. I can't express how much I hated this movie. It was a complete waste of time. There was nothing good about it. The acting was bad. The costumes were bad. The plot was bad. The special effects were bad. It's not even creepy or scary in any way. Do not watch this movie. Do not listen to anyone else on this podcast. This is a screw it. Wait, did you like the music? <laughs> no. You didn't dance in your seat? I, uh, yeah, but I wished I had been able to listen to the music without the visuals. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Steve, view it, screw it, cue it. We're really flipping the scale around tonight. <laughs> it around. It's like the ways. mirror world, man. You need to say a mantra to get me to stop flipping stuff around, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, screw it. It was really interesting to have the experience of finally seeing a Bollywood movie. I feel like I we really started at the bottom of the barrel. Like This movie was not re- well received by Indian film critics, and I can see why. It, it's highly derivative of Western horror concepts. There's so much going on in this movie that... It's difficult to follow. It's chaotic. It feels cheaply made. I did enjoy some elements of it, just because it's refreshing to see a movie um, made from a, a different perspective, a different culture. The music was fun, um, you know. But also, like, I changed the strings on my classical guitar while watching it. Like, I just after a certain point, it's like I could not remain fully invested in this thing. It's too long, too haphazardly made. Screw it done. Chris, I think we know how you feel, but this is your chance to really sell the audience on this one. I'm 100% view it. Look, yeah, it's not you know the best technically made movie. It's not the best acting. It's not the best plotting. Sure, but like especially if you haven't seen a movie in this Indian style before, it's it's interesting. It's a sensational visual experience. They're having a lot of fun with it. Um, oh, a, certainly. They do seem to know, be having fun. There's a lot of setups that I haven't seen before in horror. There's a heart to the movie, you know, there's a human element, you know, and here's a, here's a good, here's when you should watch this movie. Put it in your queue. I'm going to say view it, but, you know, put it in your, put it in your queue, and when you have, you know, someone who maybe isn't that into scary movies, you know, I got friends who just can't do a scary movie. This is a movie that I think is spooky enough to spook people, but it's also, you know, lighthearted enough that you can kind of laugh at it or with it, and, you know, I will so, so view I it will, and cue it. View it and cue it. View and, it for yourself, cue it for yeah. your friends. Yeah. I will say view it, but not as a horror movie. I don't really think it's a horror movie. It entertained me, but not necessarily as a horror movie. I thought movie. there were some legitimate spooky moments, and there was just a lot of just spooky fun. Back to the first episode, you did say that you like to be spooked. Spooky stuff. Like That's what you're Spooked, you know? Eyeballs, lemons that turn to eyeballs, inky black bathtubs, wardrobes well, flying around. All good stuff. I just have to ask you guys, those of you, because you all seem to like the movie so much more than me. Can you just, like, pick one? Oh, I, I don't like it, but well, these two do, for well, sure. Well, yeah, Steve, okay. But you seem to be more forgiving of it than I am. Like, can you just, like, pick 
one scene from this movie that like delighted you? Can you just like describe, like tell me what scene that is that you would just like show your friends? I like the scene where they're on the clock and he's trying to throw the locket in the river and she's at home saying the mantras and all hell's breaking loose and there's the black cat crossing the street and it's just it's just crazy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I I've already mentioned several, but certainly that one. Uh, Jay's introduction scene where he's doing the fucking exorcism is amazing. Uh, and also, I think the final scene with the mirror reality is sort of batshit, and I didn't entirely understand what was going on, but I found it gripping. I was, like, super into it and, and the, really entertaining. And the unexpected cut to intermission. Well, yeah, but that's part of the whole, like, thing we're talking about on the bridge. True. That I mean, that was super entertaining right. to me. Steve, do you have a contribution to that, or did you just... Oh, that was my... The intermission was my favorite scene, too, because I was actually formally given permission to take a break from this awful movie <laughs> but I, I did overall enjoy the experience i mean I, it, it took quite a bit of effort though wow not, you overall enjoyed the experience but also would say screw it i feel like that's would say screw it because it did take me a considerable effort to be kind enough to approach this movie mm. on its level and appreciate it for what it was i would never recommend it to anyone i mean it was miserable for at least the first hour for me to try and get through this thing. I think Elizabeth began feeling that way and then probably just completely tuned out after intermission. Well, I think this podcast is just Steve like saying screw it and then admitting that he thinks that people should watch it to suffer, no, I to just suffer said. the same fate that, he, that the rest Misery loves exactly. company. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I just said I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. I, yeah. I stand by my screw it, but I did try for myself. If I'm going to spend two hours watching a movie, I want to get something out of it, even if I can't recommend it to anyone else. Like I want to at least enjoy myself. And I think I was able to do that for the most part. Well, on that note, um, you know, if Misery does love company, and if you're looking to follow along with us, we always encourage that. And this would be a great time to start, because next week, we're breaking the order. Breaking the order. Because tomorrow, um, Gerald's Game debuts on Netflix. It's a Netflix exclu- exclusive. Um, should be exciting. Are we excited for Gerald's Game? <laughs> yeah. I'm intrigued. So uh, we figured it was worthy of breaking our order to, uh, to see uh, what's going on. So we're going to have that for you next week. And today we're going to play you out with another great cut from 1920 London, a nice little Bollywood dance number. Sadly, we're not hearing the theme song by Steve Sonoris, but uh, that's his composition. I'm Chris Latt. I produce the show. And uh, make sure you follow, like, subscribe us on social media at Amoncast. And subscribe on all your podcast directories and review us. For every horror movie on Netflix, I'm Chris. I'm Patrick. I'm Elizabeth. I'm Steve. And this is the best jam from 1920 London. <laughs> I'm